Well, I hope that you have had a great week so far. Um, last weekend was one of those weekends that I will always remember. Uh, there are times when God just graciously allows us to just get a glimpse of what he's doing in people's lives. And uh, this was one of those weekends for us at Stone Oak Bible. I love our church. One setback, though, that we had this weekend was that we had a small kind of technological glitch that that deleted our sermon audio from the weekend. Uh, so what I wanted to do is just to take a quick moment to record just a short Bible study that walks through the text that we kind of work through this weekend. And my hope is, is that for those of you who weren't able to join us this weekend, uh, that you'll be able to continue along with us in our journey through James. It's been an incredible journey so far. Uh, second, though, I know that several of you are using this text for your community groups. And so I wanted to give you just kind of give you a resource for you in your groups as you talk through and look through this text. Now, through the last couple verses in the first chapter of James, um, we've talked about being both hearers and doers of the word of God. Uh, that it's not simply okay, you know, to continue hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing the word uh, without then putting it into action. That we're called to be both hearers and doers of the word. And here in these, these verses that we're going to look at, um, James continues really in this theme. Uh, and, he, and he says that true faith is expressed in three ways. And this text is going to really cause ourselves... Um, to ask ourselves three questions. One, do you control your tongue? Two, do you care for the helpless? And three, do you avo avoid worldliness? So do you control your tongue? Do you care for the helpless? Do you avoid worldliness? And of course, James is not you know, summarizing all that true worship should involve, but he is saying this, true worship should involve all of these things. And so James 1 verses 26 through 27, the last two verses in this chapter says this, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So let's ask ourselves the first question. Do you control your tongue? James says, if any of you thinks that you're religious, but you can't bridle your tongue. A bridle, a bit, uh, is a small but powerful object uh, through this one tiny object. A powerful, beautiful beast is, is directed and guided by its rider. It controls the horse. Uh, and this is not the only time that James is going to use this imagery. If you look at just the next page in your Bibles, uh, in James 3, uh, James is, is dealing in the context of teachers here, but and we're going to get here in a couple weeks. But let me read this text to you because it continues on in this, in this theme. In chapter 3, verse 2, it says, For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to also bridle his whole body. 
if we put bits into the mouths of horses uh, so that they must obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at ships also, uh, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. You feel the the power of what James is saying here. He says, if any of you think you're religious, but you can't bridle your tongue, your religion is worthless. Ouch, right? Worthless, meaning vain, meaningless, or empty. And one clarification here, this isn't a call to silence, right? This is not a, a call to a vow of silence or anything like that. Notice James here is not saying that the tongue is, is bad or negative, but powerful and in need of controlling. James says your tongue is powerful not only for others but for you because your tongue will guide your, your whole body. And that religion that cannot control the tongue is worthless. And so are we a people with a bridled, with bridled tongues? Are we quiet when needed, slow to speak and, and wise when we do speak? Because true religion expresses itself in this. And again, as we've said every week, um, James is not calling us to do these things to acquire, you know, a standing before God or anything like that. Um, God doesn't pick you for his team based on how awesome you are at controlling your tongue. Your standing is based on the work of Jesus Christ and on him alone. And you do nothing to add to that or to aid in that in any way you're saved by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone, who took your place and died your death and, and gave you his righteousness. And for those who have been set free by the work of Christ, your faith will express itself through a controlled tongue. True faith expresses itself through a controlled tongue. Now, let's ask ourselves the second question. That is this, do you care for the helpless? James says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Now, I want to take a little bit of a a more broad biblical look at this for just a moment. I want to do this because this is not just a theme or an agenda that James is pushing. This isn't a, an idea that's, you know, specific to James and James alone. No, this is a prominent theme throughout the entire uh, Bible. That this is, this is the heart of God for his people that we see all throughout the text. And so first, let's look at a book called Amos. I want to look at a couple passages. The first is a, is a book called Amos, Old Testament. Um, God, through Amos, is addressing his people and calling them to repentance. And in, and in chapter 5, he says, You have trampled the poor. You've taken advantage of them at the gate. You've taken advantage of them in your city. In your city. You've turned aside the needy in your city. And then in verse 14, he calls them back. He says, Seek good not evil, hate, hate evil, love good and establish justice at the gate. But then listen to this. And in verse 21, it says, I hate, I despise your feasts. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. 
Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look at them. Turn away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps. I will not listen, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Now think about this. How could God not like this? The, what Amos is describing is, is their worship services, their gatherings. These are all for God, right? But in this passage, God through Amos is calling his people, calling out his people. And he says, you've neglected the helpless. You've trampled the poor. And your worship services, they sicken me. Your worship services are an expression of worthless religion, a religion that is composed of empty religious motions. Let's look at another uh, prophet in, in Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1 in verse 13, it says, Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath, the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity in solemn assembly. Your new moons, your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They have become, listen, a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves and make yourselves clean. Remove evil from your deeds and from before my eyes. Isaiah is saying, worthless religion is, is often expressed through a disregard for the helpless rather than engaging them, loving them, helping them. God says, your prayers, your songs, your, your hands that are stretched, your sacrifices. He says, I'm weary of them. They're a burden to me. They're empty. And then in verse 17, Isaiah says, cease to do evil, learn to do good. Seek justice, correct oppression, and bring justice to the fatherless and plead the widow's cause. You hear that? Do you feel that? The heart of God for the helpless. Because God is in the business of helping the helpless. And we as people are called to be sent as his tools to accomplish that. God is in the business. He always has been in the business of helping the helpless. And we are called and we're sent to be his tools. And again, we can't say this enough. We don't do this in order to become God's people. We do this because we are God's people. Our prayer is that God would break our heart for what breaks his, right? And fortunately, we don't have to wonder the brokenness of our city that breaks his heart. The single mom who's, who's struggling to provide dinner for her kids that breaks his heart. The, the child with no mother, no father, no stability that breaks his heart. These things broke the heart of God in biblical times. In, ch in church, they, they break the heart of God today. It's important to understand, though, that this is not some social gospel message. And by that, I mean, I know that we're not, our goal is not to somehow usher in a perfect world. It's not that we as a church have an agenda. 
that we're going to jump into systematic social justice issues. It's not something that we're going to lose sight of the gospel in the midst of doing just good things, right? This is simply a call for God's people to remember God's heart. This is just a call for God's people to remember God's heart. One of my favorite verses in all of scripture, Micah 6, 8, it says, He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. And so the question is, how do we engage in this? Not theoretically, but in reality. Well, this past weekend, I had the privilege of introducing Nathan. A few weeks ago, Nathan called me with an idea. It was a simple idea to provide our church with a resource, an idea to help us engage in this. And we're calling it the James Initiative. In a couple weeks, we're going to give out bags. These bags are going to have essentials, water, you know, toothbrush, toothpaste, energy bar, socks, things like that. Along with that, we're going to include uh, a, the scripture. We're going to put in the gospel of, of John. And in a couple of weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to give each household in our church a bag. These bags we want to encourage you keep in your car. And what we're asking is this, keep your eyes open for opportunities to give these bags to someone who is in need. It's that simple. Uh, we think of, of this a little bit like training wheels and learning to ride a bike. As a church, this idea is a bit like training wheels. It's meant to be the resource that helps us engage in, in this and think about this. But eventually, it's our goal to take off the training wheels, right? It's not cool to rock training wheels for years and years and years. The goal is to take them off. And my prayer is that we're going to be intentional in the way that we in, are engaging and caring for those in our community who are vulnerable. You're going to hear more about the James Initiative in the following weeks, but, but hear me, the only difference between ourselves and the most helpless person in our community is purely circumstantial. And by that, I mean, we are all in the, we're all made in the image of God and that it's my prayer that our heart breaks for what breaks God's and True faith is expressed through a heart for the helpless. And lastly, I want to ask you the final question. Do you avoid worldliness? James says, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. What's James referring to here? Well, I like to compare this to a documentary. I love documentaries. Uh, I could binge watch Netflix documentaries all day long. But let me ask you, you this, if someone were to tag along with you, I mean, every day of your life, tag along every moment and a video crew were to make a documentary of your life and, and that footage, that documentary were taken to someone and given to someone in our community who does not know Christ. If your documentary were given to someone who does not know Christ, would your life make complete sense to them? Would your life make complete sense to them? Do your values, your, your purpose, are your goals, are the way you spend your time, the way you spend your money, 
your relationships? Would would everything about you look exactly like their life? This is a good way to think of the biblical uh, idea of worldliness. Would your life look exactly like theirs? If you're a follower of Christ, you're not like the rest of the world. Just as Christ wasn't like the rest of the world. If you're a follower of Christ, you've been sent into the world just as Christ has been sent into the world. We are set apart. We are in the world, but not of it. And that true faith then is expressed through a life that is lived differently than the world around it. True faith will leave evidence. And I want to end with this. Um, As I wrestled with this passage, I realized something that was a bit like a light bulb moment uh, for me. Um, everything that we've talked about, everything, it all comes back to the grace of God in Christ. And here's what I mean. When we realize that we are nothing apart from the grace of God, if we realize that we were dead in our sins, that God looked down on us in love based on nothing that we had done, based on nothing that we would do, but based on his goodness, his love, and his grace alone, that he sent his son and that Jesus willingly and lovingly demonstrated his power by by humbling himself, living the perfect life, dying in my place, taking my sin on his shoulders, conquering death through his resurrection and giving me a life of freedom, transforming me through his spirit, empowering me through his spirit, uh, setting me apart where apart from him, I have nothing to boast in. When I realize that, I'm slower to speak because I realize the great grace that was shown to me. It feels strangely out of place for me to be quick to judge. It slows my tongue and that grace gives me the ability to control my tongue. When I realize this, my heart breaks for the helpless and the broken because I relate to them because I am them apart from the grace of God. And that grace is, is the thing that, that gives me the ability to care for the helpless. When I realize this, that Jesus has chosen to take me, me for his purpose to use me for his purpose. When I understand that he has set me apart, called me apart, his grace is the thing that drives me then to live differently in this world. His grace shows me that the fullness of life found in Christ can be found nowhere else. It's his grace that gives me the ability to avoid worldliness. It is all about the grace of God through Christ. And so honestly, this is not simply a call to try harder to be good. If you hear nothing but this from this recording, I, I, I hope it's this. This is not a call for us to simply try harder to be good. This is a call to, for us to simply look at, to think about the amazing, the beautiful grace of God through Christ and to allow this grace to be the thing that propels us, that compels us us to live for him. James says, this is what true religion is. This is what pure undefiled religion looks like. This true faith leaves evidence. 
True faith does. True faith calls us to be both hearers and doers of the word.